Welcome to Real Estate Milestones, where we explore fascinating topics in commercial real estate with knowledgeable industry experts. I'm your host, Ben Malik, and I'm a young real estate professional who is passionate about adding value to people's lives through the incredible power of real estate. My goal is to help you discover what the heck is going on in the industry and how you can get involved. This is Real Estate Milestones, where your future in real estate lies just around the corner. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Real Estate Milestones. Today, I have a very special show where I'll be talking about some of the most exciting stuff imaginable. Taxes. I know everyone loves taxes, so that's why I thought today would be a, a good day to talk about them. It's tax season, y'all, and I'm assuming it's the time of year where you hate taxes the most. So while this feeling of frustration is fresh in your hearts and souls, I want to discuss why investing in real estate is so advantageous from a tax perspective and give you some tips that might help you start planning and working with your CPA so that next year you don't have a tremendous tax headache. In some way or another, you all probably are aware that somehow real estate investors in or somehow real estate investing involves tax reduction in some way. Whether it's the fact that Donald Trump doesn't want to reveal his tax returns, or you know that the doctor down the street owns a few rental properties. But Obviously, it's not as simple as just owning properties and avoiding taxes. But before I dive into it, I want to get this out of the way. I'm not a CPA, attorney, or advisor. And more importantly, I'm not your CPA, attorney, or advisor. So nothing I say here is tax or investment advice, nor does it specifically apply to your situation. So you should talk to your advisor before applying anything you hear on the show today. Now that that's out of the way, today I'm going to discuss five tax strategies that real estate investors employ to reduce their tax burden. First concept I'm going to discuss is the core of almost all tax saving strategies across real estate, and even across all investments. The idea is simple. Investors declare losses to offset the taxes they have to pay on their gains. Similar to how businesses don't pay taxes on all of their revenues, but only pay taxes on their profits, which is revenue minus costs, investors only pay taxes on the profits they make in a given year, which is capital gains minus capital losses. Even stock investors do this, which is why sometimes uh, you see a dip in prices in November and December. It's called tax loss harvesting, which is when stock investors sell off some of their shares at a loss in order to realize those losses and offset their capital gains. Since real estate is illiquid, you can't just sell your assets when you have when they are at a lower value, nor would you want to do this by, by, <laughs> by all likelihood. However, the losses you take as a real estate investor are even more powerful than as an owner of paper assets. The word is depreciation. You've probably heard of this concept before. Depreciation is the idea of an, that an asset loses value over time due to the deterioration or obsolescence of the materials it's composed of. And the US tax code dictates the useful life of a commercial property to be 39 years and of a residential property to be 27 and a half years. Um, that's straight line depreciation, if that matters to you, which, it, which means that the IRS assumes that your house is worth $0 in 27 and a half years after you buy it. Depreciation is literally the opposite of appreciation. But wait, why is that a good thing? In actuality, properties don't become worthless over time, as you know. Matter of fact, they usually become more valuable over time. If you own a house, Think, think about it. Think about what, if you own a house, think about when it was built and how much you paid for it. Most of the houses in my town were built between 1960s and 80s, and many of them are worth over a million dollars. 
But the reason depreciation is so powerful is because it is, it is only an accounting loss on paper, often called paper loss. Depreciation doesn't actually cost you anything. It's not like an outflow of cash, like your utility or electric expenses. How, however, since the depreciation expense shows up on your accounting books, you're able to deduct this, you're able to deduct this paper expense against your rental income, which reduces your tax burden. I bet you're wondering, if it's not a real expense, why is it there? The reason is, properties do depreciate in many ways, such as the roof gets worn down or the AC breaks after many years, and the IRS allows you to account for this gradual deterioration over time. However, in actuality, you replace these items when they need to be replaced, which maintains the building and the value of the physical asset. Furthermore, we all know that real estate doesn't actually depreciate, rather it appreciates over time, which is why the IRS also has something called depreciation recapture tax, which means you, when you sell your property, you have to pay back some of the depreciation losses you took because the property didn't actually lose the value that you claimed it did on paper. The power of depreciation can be taken even farther though through a strategy called cost segregation. In episode 21 of Real Estate Milestones, I had an incredible interview with Yona Weiss on this topic. Yona Weiss is considered throughout the industry as the cost seg king or the cost segregation king and is probably the most knowledgeable about this topic than anyone. So definitely check out episode 21. It's super fun and exciting. But in short, the concept is that while the useful life of a building is 27 and a half years, the useful life youth useful life of its component parts are shorter. For example, an AC unit has a useful life of 15 years and a refrigerator has a useful life of five years. And fun fact, fig trees have a useful life of three years, which I learned on the episode with Yona, um, episode 21. But a cost segregation report involves hiring an expert to come to your property and take notes on everything in it. And then they calculate the weighted average useful life of all of the components so that you can accelerate your depreciation schedule. In other words, the new useful life calculation might come out to be 20 years, meaning you can take larger, larger tax deductions every year because your property is anticipated to depreciate at a faster rate than previously accounted for when you just look at the building as a whole, right? You take seven and a half years off of your useful life, meaning each year you take a larger percentage of the full value of the property as a tax deduction, depreciation deduction. This leads into the next way that investors reduce their tax burden, which is the famous 1031 exchange. Um, you might have heard of this. It's all, often referred to as a, as a like-kind exchange, but when an investor sells a property, not only do they have to pay this depreciation recapture tax, but they have to pay capital gains tax on the profits that they made on the depreciation. And you can imagine how big these tax bills get if you're you know, working with million dollar properties. However, the 1031 exchange is a way around this. A 1031 exchange is a like kind exchange, meaning if you sell your property and buy a new one with a, within a certain requirement of time, you can roll over your capital gains and not have to pay them until you sell the new building that you just bought. Furthermore, you can continue to do this over and over, essentially never realizing the capital gains and never needing to pay taxes on it. Many of the wealthiest families do just this. They do 1031 exchanges until the elder of the family passes away. And when this happens, the capital gains resets from to zero when it's passed on to the inheritor who can then sell the property without paying any capital gains tax because the new basis on which the capital gains was calculated has been reset 
to the level of the property at the time of, of the transfer to the inheritor. All the meanwhile, the, the owner, the original owner, and even the um, inheritor are collecting rent checks and probably traveling the world in their private jets while they, uh, <laughs> while they collect checks and, and make income off the property. But, but before I keep going, I want to address a concern some people may have when they learn about all of this. Some people ask, is it fair that real estate investors get all these tax advantages? I'll leave it up to you to, I'll leave it up to, you to decide whether or not it's fair, but I can tell you what the IRS and legislature's rationale is behind offering these incentives to real estate investors. The idea is individuals in society need housing and real estate is essential for every part of the economy to run. Therefore, the government offers tax incentives to motivate people with capital to invest in real estate so that the prop so the properties that we interact with every day will be maintained and improved. And so the, that investors have a good reason to take on the risk of building new properties so that the economy doesn't become undersupplied, which would cause super high rents and prices of real estate. It seems more like the government isn't just giving handouts to the wealthy, but is using tax policy to incentivize investment into things that are good for society rather than rather than just making or rather than what makes people the most money, right? Wealthy people will be more incentivized to invest in real estate than stocks or whatever you can imagine, things that are less directly beneficial to, to everyone who operates in this economy. Regardless, the current tax advantages exist and you are at liberty to use them. So as a if you're a real estate investor, so here's another one that might be suitable for your situation. But actually, before I get into this, there's one thing I want to mention. I've recently been getting a lot of feedback from listeners telling me that they can see how hard I work putting this podcast together and that they're really thankful I've chosen to dedicate myself to sharing real estate knowledge with you, with you all every week. But they want a way to support the show and express their appreciation. While positive feedback like this is more than enough to motivate me, if you, all, if you also wish that there was a way to support the show, you're in luck. Starting this week, I opened up a Patreon account wish where you can become a patron of the show. If you want to contribute 10, five or 10 bucks a month to get me a cup of coffee or lunch so that I have the energy to keep putting together awesome episodes like this, you can go to patreon.com slash real estate milestones and become a member of the private real estate milestones community. The link is in the show notes as well. Um, thank you all so much for the support. And as always, five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts always brings a smile to my face. So feel free to do that as well to support the show. Okay, so now back to the show. Unfortunately, most of the tax advantages in real estate only let you offset your taxes that are related to your investments. In other words, if you're an employee of another company or you're a doctor, lawyer, a sole proprietor in another business besides real estate, but you invest in real estate on the side or, or passively, you can only use investment and depreciation losses to offset your investment income and not your salary or active income. However, there's one major exception. If you are considered to have real estate professional status, you're eligible to offset your active income with your passive losses. You're probably thinking, but I don't have a real estate license. However, I wish it was that simple. Having a real estate license does not mean you have real estate professional status in the eyes of the IRS, nor do you need to have a license to be a real estate professional in the eyes of the IRS. To be considered a real estate professional, you have to you have to materially participate in the management of real estate investments for a minimum of 750 hours per year. 
and you can't spend more than half of your time of the time you spend earning income in it, earning income in some other way that's not managing real estate. I don't want to get into all the details here, but it pretty much means most people do not qualify unless you're an active investor or, you know, yeah, pretty much you have to be an active investor. However, you're not out of luck because married couples are considered one joint entity for tax purposes. So if one of the spouses in a couple, in a couple has real estate professional status, then the passive losses from the investments that they own together can be used to offset the active income of the other spouse. This means if one spouse, for example, is a doctor and the other one manages the family's real estate investments, the real estate tax deductions can also be used to offset the doctor's income. If you and your spouse are interested in real estate, um, and I would definitely recommend talking to your CPA about this because the tax savings can, could be enormous for people who are used to paying probably almost half of their in, earned income to taxes. Okay, wow. This has been super fun. Call me crazy, but because, I mean, because I know most of you probably find taxes to be the most boring topic in the world and um, kind of up there with death is the worst things. But ever since I've learned all this, I've been, I found taxes to be super exciting. And I hope after this episode, you kind of see a little bit or, or you know, kind of share a little bit in the same um, sentiment. And it gets even crazier and more complicated and cooler with with tax structures such as opportunity funds, um, mortgage interest deductions, self-directed IRAs and Roth IRAs, and a million various different kinds of trusts, including the, the deferred sales trust, which I discussed with Brett Swartz all the way back in episode six of the show. But I'm planning to do um, many more episodes with experts in the near future to discuss some of these more advanced topics in, in much more detail. Um, so I look forward to doing that and I hope you do as well. And I hope after this tax is a little bit more exciting and a little less scary, but at least I hope you have a better understanding of why real estate is so powerful from a tax standpoint. And better yet, I hope this is even more motivation to start your own real estate investing journey. Thanks again for everyone who's tuned in. If you're interested in the Patreon, check out the link in the show notes. And as always, keep making milestones. Before you go, I just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to another awesome episode of Real Estate Milestones. If you've been enjoying the show and you'd like to offer your support, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to increase the show's visibility and help the message get out to a greater audience. I really appreciate your time and support and keep making milestones. The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts.